Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Welcome to The Canadian Story. Uh, I'm really excited to have my friend Chad on. Chad and I have known each other since my very earliest days in Edmonton. I actually met him because he was living with my friend Josh Lepke at the time. And uh, we've stayed friends ever since, pretty much. Uh, we actually met before that, David. At what? We did? You and I met at the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver. That's right. No, 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 no. It was at, we met before that. When, when I was with, with um, you're right, you drove across the country with Josh Lepke to come to the Olympics. That's where we this first This met. random, you find friends that go, Chad, you're the biggest hockey fan I know. We should go to Vancouver for the end of the <laughs> Don't you want to watch the gold medal game on the streets in Vancouver with a whole bunch of strangers? Absolutely. There's the right answer to that question. You're right. I don't know why I, that one, that slipped my mind. For some reason in my mind, that was when we first met when I, when I moved in with uh, Josh up there. It also slipped your mind to actually come with us to the streets of Vancouver to watch the gold medal game. No, I was watching it at Trinity. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with my friends. <laughs> um, all right. So, Chad, you are a political organizer. You are also an ordained minister. You I'm licensed, not ordained. Sorry, a licensed minister. Um, you have done fought. You've um, helped foster kids. You are huge on community development, uh, dealing with the problem of homelessness. Uh, looking at the issues facing the community that I grew up in, well, near the community I grew up in, uh, Red Deer, Alberta. So I'll let you kind of uh, give your short, I usually let um, guests give a short, you know, two, three minute bio of who they are. And then uh, and then we go into why do you love Canada? And what is it that you love about Canada? So about seven years ago, my wife and I moved to Red Deer, Alberta as a place. This is where we want to live. These are the people we want to love and serve. and have gone on this adventure of what does it look like to make cities better and to actually love people. And there was this guy who lived a long time ago named Jesus who said, love your neighbor. And this is one of those things that people just brush over and say, oh yeah, we'll get to that. But this is actually the heartbeat of what Jesus is talking about. And so we moved to the city and figure out what does love your neighbor look like? And we found all sorts of adventures trying to figure out how to do this because, well, that just somehow that's trickier than you think it should be. And, I mean, yeah, there's a great line in a Switchfoot's new album or one of their new albums, Native Tongue, where he says, uh, "Love is the hardest habit, right? It's it's the hardest skill to to gain because it's not clear. I think for a couple of reasons. One is it's very difficult to love something through some kind of rubric because love is unique to the object of that affection, right?" And then there's also like today, it's actually minus 29 right now in Red Deer. We miss you here. Well, yes, yes. Well, (laughs) it's a balmy minus 12 here. (laughs) Yeah, well. So, but but then what does love look like? It's that I watch my neighbors boosting each other's cars all morning. You drive by, there's batteries hanging out. And then one of the things like yesterday it snowed. It's like, what that looks like for me is I'm going to shovel my sidewalk and my neighbors and my neighbors on the other side. Right, because no, they need, like, they, they, you know, you can do it. They could do this and do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that. So, so uh, you moved to Red Deer. Go ahead, sorry. So we found within Red Deer, there's this, this lack of connection. I don't know that that's unique to Red Deer, but Red Deer ends up being a really transient city. 
or you've had people that have been here for 40 years and the city has grown a whole bunch. They don't really recognize it. And so there is actually this lack of community and interconnectedness and like no easy on-ramps for people to find community. And so we've gone on this adventure of trying to find ways to connect people and trying to find ways to like, we actually need each other. And I think that's one of the things we've learned in the midst of the pandemic is how desperately we long for community. And I was worried at the start of this in March that this is going to be the death of neighborliness. We actually met new neighbors. Right, <laughs> right, like, right. In the green space near our place, we just like, well, we're going to go. And then the neighborhood kids came out and played. And we ended up building a fence with our neighbors, which is the ultimate neighbor project to build a fence with two other neighbors and try to figure this all out and negotiate what this looks like together. And also some irony in that we built a fence together. Now I don't see them nearly as often because they have a wood <laughs> fence. <laughs> you know, good fences make good neighbors. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. So, um, I grew up going into Red Deer a couple times a week. Red Deer was, was where I was born and well, I was born in Lacombe, but that the central Alberta is a special place in my heart. It's where I first became a political organizer. It was where I first started doing politics where I come from. It's, it is my, my roots. And the interesting thing for me is being a first generation Albertan. I was, my parents were born in Ontario, but I was born in, in Alberta. So I am both, you know, by birthright and also by, but not by lineage to the same degree as say Vitor's daughter, who's sixth generation uh, Albertan. Um, you're, you came to Red Deer seven years ago, but you've noticed, I think, one of the things that I love about Red Deer, which is it's the youngest city in Canada. It's one of them. It's actually a little, there's a little bit of stagnation. It's a little bit actually trickling up, getting older. But right, but it's, well, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's in that top 2% sure. of places in terms of being young. And you can kind of feel it. There's a, there's a family, like there's tons of kids. There's a lot of uh, working parents um, and there's a lot of single mothers and there's a lot of divorce, but and, it's, and now there's a, a, an addiction problem because of uh, the economic times we're in. But all in all, I see a very bright future for Red Deer. And I'd like to hear more about what you kind of see as someone who, you know, it's your adopted home, but it's the place you love. And that's such a Canadian story, right? Is maybe, maybe someone's from the Punjab or the Philippines or Poland but when they come here, we become their country. So in a small kind of microcosm of that, you've come to Red Deer and you've made it your home. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like you to kind of share why. So Red Deer is in this, in this really unique state, space as becoming a city. And that So recently crossed over to 100,000 people, which is a great number, great size. And yet it's still a city that thinks it's a small town. And that people still like, treat like oh, I remember back when that mall was the good mall and the other mall was the bad mall. <laughs> just, yep. 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 But then you have people that so we, all, we only have home. two malls folks. <laughs> How many do you actually need? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that you have people that don't really understand the story of what Red Deer is. And there's some nostalgia pieces to it too. But then there's also this element of that, like suddenly Red Deer is having big kid problems and it doesn't know what it wants to be when it grows up yet. And so it's, a, it's like, yeah, it's a teenager. It's a teenage city. Kind of like Canada's a teenage country. Yeah. And so like there's still, there's an element of this longing for nostalgia, but nostalgia is great, but we don't need to long for our past. We need to learn from it. And we need to like, Red Deer needs to grow into this purpose-built mid-sized city. And we need far more made in Red Deer solutions rather than, oh, 
look at the nice things they have in Calgary. Or, oh man, the Forks is so nice in Winnipeg. We should do something like that. It's like, no, we got to figure out the great things we can do in Red Deer. And there's actually some neat stuff that's going on that where initially where they had the civic yards was right by the river, which is such a classic thing. You look, oh, this is right by the river. This is a great place to park our trucks. <laughs> and so they move all the civic yards and now they have this incredible riverfront strip right beside downtown where they can actually redevelop and turn into, I mean, they're talking about walkable communities and there's a whole master plan for it, but like this is an exciting chance to redevelop what the city could be and what the city could look like. Red Deer is this position to be the best place to live in Alberta and probably the best place to live in Canada. I've actually started calling it the most Canadian city too, because like good Canadians, we tend to define ourselves by what we're not in the same way that Canadians ill-fatedly just define themselves as being not American. Right. So, so, so what is Red Deer? Not, not Calgarian, not uh, Edmontonian? So we're not Calgary, we're not Edmonton, but then we're not like Stetler or all the other <laughs> <small towns. laughs> And if, for, we, all the, we, for all the Albertans, this is very funny. For everyone else listening, they're not going to understand, but this is totally the dynamic. And then there's also a funny element that like cities actually get great when they have a rival and that rivalries make us better. You know, Calgary, Edmonton and Saskatoon, Regina, and I'm sure there's great Ontario examples as well, but Red Deer doesn't have one of those when you're 10% the size of the big cities around you. Yeah, so it's got little brother syndrome going on a little bit too, right? It's like little cousin syndrome even. Yeah, little cousin syndrome. There you go. <laughs> but there, there is still this undercurrent that like people are starting to love local even more and starting to like notice like these are some really good local restaurants that are starting to like become cha- central Alberta chains rather than the big joke in Red Deer is like, oh, we need Red Lobster and Olive Garden. Like, no, actually, we got this new place called Slantro and Chive that just moved in, and they're going to sweep the whole city, and it's going to be even better. And then some of the Well, like, Zach Zach can kind of speak to this, too. Zach, do you want to draw some parallels with Cambridge on this? Because I think there are interesting parallels to be drawn. Yeah, so Cambridge, you say Red Deer is 100,000. Cambridge is 140, so it's a little bit bigger. Um, But by far, the best spots in Cambridge, 100% hands down, they're the Cambridge spots. It's Cafe 13. It's, um, you know, I grew up going to a place called the Burns. The Burns was amazing. It's um, the Black Badger. It's all of those. Those those are the places that the community congregates and they're the most special. It's not the chains. It's not what came from outside the city. It's what is our own in our in our city of Cambridge that we love the most. And so, yeah, Chad, why don't you speak to some of those our own things about Red Deer? So Red Deer has some really special places and for that Troubled Monk, which is a new brewery that you and I have been to, that it's just sort of like, it's only five years old, but somehow it has become sort of the essence of like really quickly become a really lightning rod for what Red Deer stands for. And some coffee shops that roast their own beans in town and you just see more and more of those little shops popping up. And I think when we come out of all of this, like people are going to like remember and gravitate to all these and then there's one, I don't know if I've taken you to that. It's called Burger Boy. It's literally like this burger and shake emporium that like hasn't changed since 1971 or whenever it opened. And in a tough part of town, but it's in our neighborhood. And we end up there a lot. And it's just I've, I've eaten there. Place. I love that place. I, I, they, they make a mean hamburger. Mm-hmm. I would say one of the places that is the spirit of Red Deer is Bauer Ponds. Yeah, which is another one of these reclaiming funny things because Bauer Ponds was actually like, these were logging ponds that they made yeah, right years ago. They're like, oh, this is where we'll chop down the trees and float them down the river. And then we have these weird, like, there's, it's basically sloughs. But then you like, oh, 
we could put some grass, we could put some trees, we could put a playground over here and we could build a community center and then put bathrooms in it later. <laughs> and then, you know, in the winter, we can make it a skating rink. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I love Bower Ponds. I, I, I don't what here's one of the things I love about Red Deer. And every time I come back, I love coming back, particularly the beginning of summer and like the May, June time period where there's leaves on the trees again. There are few places that are greener than central Alberta in the spring and early summer. And it's just, there's leaves everywhere. And the walking trails in Red Deer are, I would say, even better than the walking trails in Ottawa. And Ottawa has a very good interconnected uh, like network of those. But Red Deer just, it's all planned. It's so Albertan, right? It's like, it's it makes sense. In Red Deer, you can actually walk for 17 kilometers along the river without having to cross the road. Yeah. And somehow yeah. this is the story that we haven't told that this, we have this city in a park. In the midst yeah, of like, or it is a park. Like, it is a park. Yes. And I see deer in my neighborhood all the time. And this summer or this winter, we were driving around looking at Christmas lights and you hear this clang, 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 clang. What is that? And you're like, oh, that's two bucks fighting in the cul-de-sac green space. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I think. And then of course, I go in. Do you ever and get go in and take a picture and they both give you the deer in the headlights. Boop. We were like, no, no, go back, do what you're doing. We gotta actually do this. Do you ever get the impression that Red Deer is almost like I always feel like it's a like I love that a city in a park, but I've always felt like for some reason Red Deer has a better relationship with the natural environment than a lot of other cities I've been in. It almost blends in. I think so. There's also an element of you have sort of the best of the people that live on the land for the intense agricultural surrounding, and then you're an hour out of the mountains, so you have that oh man, I want to just go climb a mountain aspect and to have both of those things together in a place and that people want to be here, but people also want to go and explore and we're close to some of the best nature you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and I, I it's, you know, everyone talks about the mountains and everyone talks about the prairies, but like not enough people are talking about the rolling hills of central Alberta. I mean, I would put that up against Scotland or Ireland or any other place as one of the most beautiful places you could ever be. And Red Deerians love the outdoors, right? We love walking. We love biking. We love hunting. We love fishing. Like it is a place of people. It's a re I love that you said it's the most Canadian city. I mean, I'm sure there's other cities that would like to argue with that, but I mean, Obviously, I'm biased on this, but there's also I an element too of like when you come in the fall, that the leaves actually all turn yellow and orange, and there's this incredible unified like, oh, the city turns this incredible yellow, and you just like. Sometimes we get winter early and they all fall off. You're like, oh no, this is fall. We need to enjoy this. This is the best temperature outside, and it's incredible. Um, when, I worked at the, uh, the uh, Riverbend. It oh, actually took me until I was like 12 to see a red maple leaf, which is such a iconic ontario thing that like out out here yeah we have no just, maple leaves yep yep you have no basis for why that's the symbol of canada yeah it's not explained right um one of the things that i other things i wanted to note about red deer is that it's a very uh community focused place there's tons of skating rinks like how many how many skating rinks does red deer have so Red Deer maintains over 70 outdoor rinks, which is the most per capita of any city outside of Montreal. And so, which amazing. And not only do they do that, but they also maintain these amazing uh, publicly owned um, cross-country skiing on the Riverbend Golf Course, which is, belongs to the city of Red Deer and is like one of the, I would say, crown jewels of Red Deer. 
And what I love, I, I worked there for two years. So again, biased, <laughs> but, uh, but the, the, the ski trails they have out there, just incredible. Yeah. And somehow to have two golf courses within the city. <laughs> yeah. Within the city, within the actual city. Exactly. Like you said, I love that. It is a city in a park. So what are some of the problems facing red deers and what are some of the possible solutions you think we can, because I know that there are, we all know there's problems right now. Um, so red deer historic, like over the last little bit has had an infrastructure deficit, which we're working on taking care of. And so that the hospital certainly is underutilized for the area that red deer, like it's a city of a hundred thousand, which is, one size, but then when you have a surrounding area of 400,000, you need to build a city for 400,000 for all the surrounding communities within it. And so that hasn't been translated because there's been so much growth in the area over the last two decades. So that's working on it. The Red Deer College is expanding into something bigger and better than ever. And then trying to deal with sort of the poverty element of the homelessness and the addictions crisis. And there's, one of the biggest challenges coming from the nonprofit sector is that you end up siloing a lot and that this person over here is doing this great work and they're doing great work over here and they're doing great work over here, but you don't have a unifying vision and you don't have unifying resources for like, we should all, I mean, resources are scarce enough. We need to be using them the best possible way, but we also need to be helping people the most effective way. And too often for those in poverty, you end up with like, Oh, you got to go here to get this little thing, go here to get this little thing, go here to get this little thing. And it's, more complicated than getting a driver's license, getting help for someone who everyone wants to help them. Everyone knows that they deserve help. And yet this person does we've this. Just, we've made it too bureaucratic. There's, there's no leadership. And, and well, I wouldn't say there's no leadership. It's, it's, it's disorganized. It's dis You end up playing the government game. Yeah. Yeah. I think I want to really go into this because I think it's one of the greatest tragedies in our nation and, and actually in the West right now, that's just not being addressed. But like, Speak to some of the work you've done on the opioid crisis, what you've seen, what, what your perspective is on what's happening there. <laughs> I think this is a crisis where we need to, I mean, understanding education is the easy way to say it, but I think there's an element of people genuinely want to help people, but people haven't figured out the right way to do that yet. And when you just have, in Red Deer, we have an overdose prevention site where you can go and do your illegal drugs and do it in a safe space, which as someone coming from pretty conservative Christian background, it took me a long time to wrap my brain around that because, well, how could, how could you do this? How could you be doing, you're doing illegal drugs in this space, but like, this is still a space where like, we'd rather these people not die because we still believe we can help these people. And we still believe they can get better. And so this is a base level that we can get people to, but we actually need real recovery and we need space for people to go. You need to rearrange your whole community because if you're in that, that space, all of your friends are probably in that space too. And so you're all stuck at zero together. And so we need to find a space where you can go live somewhere else for a year, get better, learn life skills, rebuild your social networks, rebuild your employment ability, rebuild your family structures, whatever that looks like. And we haven't managed to put everything together enough so that we can offer that to people. We offer them the easiest thing of here's some needles and a space to do your drugs. Yeah. That's we, not a solution to this problem. Exactly. We're not. And that's a lot of people criticize the safe injection sites. And, you know, I've been, I've been part of that criticism because, 
but that I think what you just explained is the reason that people criticize them is it seems like a band-aid on a gaping wound, right? And the gaping wound is this addiction problem. And I, I just speak to it for a second. I remember I was talking to one of my friends who's in the NDP and he was describing his perspective of Donald Trump. And he said, imagine a hopeless, drug addicted, um, poverty stricken middle America. What kind of president do you think they would vomit up? And the answer is their idea of a rich and successful person, which is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a poor person's idea of a rich person. And the reason that he's he's been able to speak to them with such um, with, with conviction is because he understands something, which is that things really are bad. They are they are far worse than I think the elites in you know Toronto and Ottawa and Vancouver and Montreal understand. Outside of those places, Canada is committing suicide in some places, right? There's also a piece that you can track where Donald Trump won in his in the primaries. To the places that have the most overdoses, that's where Donald Trump did the best. Yeah. The place where there's the least church attendance, that's where Donald Trump did the best. The place where people are the most disconnected from their community, from their people, from their, from their neighborhoods, from their place, that's where Donald Trump did the best. And so he actually managed to tap into this angst, this grumpiness isn't strong enough, but this outrage of this isn't working. I was promised this would work. Make it better. Yeah, and like, we've this, been is, this is what happens. Negative solutions for all of this, which is the problem. If you read Piketty's Capital or you read even Marx's, you know, Marxist treaties or you, you read any of these guys, you look at history. There's one thing that will always always cause a revolution and that is once you get past a certain tipping point of wealth inequality then people begin to feel like they're getting the raw end of the deal and i think um i think we're at the early stages of wealth inequality becoming a, a very serious um problem for the west but one of the things we hear a lot about as red Deerians and albertans is you know you shouldn't be having a job at 18 that pays you six figures and it ruins you. And and I want your perspective on that as someone who, you know, a lot of these addiction ridden people were making more than doctors at one point. Um, do you think that this criticism from people who say, oh, you know, the problem is they didn't have to work for what they have, which I think is complete bullshit. But do you think that there is something psychological that happens to you when you when you've gone so high and then suddenly you have nothing? My experience working with people that are on the down and out is that it's, it could happen. This could happen to anybody that this is less to do with the people that went off and made a hundred grand at 18 and came back that this can happen to the guy who just got too many pain meds from his doctor and just started taking them. Cause it's easier to do that than it is to actually have a real conversation with your wife. And so I, there is still a level of personal responsibility for all this too, but there's also like, we've, thrust people into a society where we don't have these community connections, where we don't have these good, strong family structures. And so as much as like, that's a, that's a piece of it, but and that could be part of it, but I think there's something deeper going on here. And I don't think Alberta is unique on these things for the way that works. I think, I think working away 10 months of the year doesn't possibly create strong communities and strong families. But I also think that 
this can happen in Vancouver or Toronto or Cambridge or wherever too. And this isn't unique here, but this is something that the whole world is facing and trying to figure out together. There is a, a deep irony to the fact that uh, the British Empire exported opium to uh, China and now China is exporting fentanyl to us. But um, I won't go too much into that right now. So in your work with addiction, um, what are some solutions? What are some ways that we can, that we as a community, let's say the Red Deer community, uh, me as an alumnist in USA, you know, a current uh, practitioner, what are things that we can do to help these, not only help these people, but help them not just maintain their lifestyle, but thrive? Yeah, I think going back to talking about recovery and like in Red Deer, we're actually looking at a private recovery center coming online and a public recovery center coming online whenever funding shows up for all of these things. And so there's these elements of hope and these elements, there's beacons on the horizon that we this will happen. And the recovery is something that's is going to be able to save people, but also that like we need to find ways to expand our friend networks find people that are from different walks of life than you from different backgrounds and include them into your friend networks, include them into your groups, your churches, your communities and how that works. And that we actually are stronger when we have the harmony between groups, when we have like, you know, different people that have different life experiences and we can do this together. And that is some of the Canadian story that we're, we're after. And that too often this, we're just prevent, presented with negative options. Oh, we hate them. We want them to go anywhere else. Or like, Hey, these people need to get better. They are, we need to find people that are willing to do the work and put the work in front of them and let them do it and then bring now, them back. Wouldn't it be amazing if Red Deer could become like a mecca for recovery? If we could take this obviously sad state of social affairs and judo or throw it into the momentum of becoming a place that helps people heal from the arguably one of the most destructive things that exists, which is the, the terror of, of addiction. And I think there's also a call for entrepreneurs to be able to find these people and say, hey, you're getting better. We're starting a pizza place that's going to have the best pizza. Yeah. Come work here. Yeah. Come, and you like, know what? And we're not going to just fire you if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you screw up. Because we're, we're not just here to make money. We're here to build community. Yeah. And I think social enterprise is a really undertapped thing. That I think that's how we're getting out of this. As a country, as a people, that we need capitalism to work differently rather than just for the most dollars, but for this is the people, this is the place, and this is what we're trying to do together. Well, and the problem with going for the most dollars is that you inevitably stop treating people like humans and you start treating them like numbers. You start treating them like spreadsheets. You start thinking about how much you can make off of a person in an hour. I think of my, one of my cousin's husbands, uh, he's a plumber and they charge him out at four, $500 an hour and pay him like 65 bucks. He's doing all the work, like 35 bucks. Sorry, not 65, $35. And all I can think is that is exploitation. And I'm, a, I'm as right-wing as you're ever gonna get. Like there, there are very few people in this country who have better right-wing credentials than me, but I'm telling you right now, that is exploitation. And you know why they're exploiting it? Because there's enough people that will be willing to take that job. So the mark, but why? Why can't we instead say, actually, we're going to pay someone seven. If they're good, we're going to pay them 70 bucks an hour. Well, they could, they could, but they won't. And the reason they won't is because people have become greedy. And so I think what my 
my my great warning to capitalism and even Albertans has been for a long time. There's more of us than there is of you. And if you if the oligarchs are too greedy, if the the large companies take too much profits, if shareholders truly are the only thing that these companies care about, as quote unquote is the legal precedent, then we're going to the the people will rise. They always do. Or what was wrong? The proletariat will rise. And so I think tying that back to the local matters, that people will want to support local. People get that. And like, there's a, there's an appetite for it. And I genuinely think people want to help, but they haven't been given good on-ramps recently. And they gave, don't know how. They don't know how, right? Right. I gave blood last week and I asked like, oh, how's it been since whenever? And they're like, oh, we've been so busy since this whole thing started. People are bored and need something to do. Like, right. People right. just want to help. And we need to find ways for them. Like, here, you do this. This makes a real difference in someone's life. Let's go. So what are some ways that we can help? <laughs> you can get to know your neighbors. Yeah. This yeah. becomes so simple. And yet, so like, how do you, how do you do Like, Find time to go talk to them. It turns out shoveling is a great time to go talk to people. Not normal right. days like today, but normal days. Take your kids to the park. One of the things I think we need to do in our neighborhood is like, let's put a swing set and a slide in the green space just to have a place to congregate and like just to get to know people. And then that shares ideas and then people love their place more and people take care of their place more than, oh, wait, crime goes down too because you take care of your property and then everyone else likes living there and this little thing spirals upward instead of spiraling downward. Let's find a way to do this. It's easy, but yet we don't take the time to work through that. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is um, we had Senator Husakis on here, and, and he spent a lot of time in, in immigrant communities and in, in, in more poverty areas because new immigrants tend to just by the very nature of, of being immigrants have less than maybe established Canadians. And I can't help but think that the fear of the unknown is really what is really what we're up against. Because when you're saying make new friends, well, what if you try to make a new friend with someone and they reject you, right? That's terrifying to some people. That's debilitating to some people. But I guess my uh, my admonition to people out there would be, I've made a lot of friends in my life and I don't even remember the ones that decided they didn't want to be my friends. It's, this is something I'm teaching my kids, my daughter who's six. You can never have too many friends. Dad, even when I have 14 Valentines to make this week? Yep. Never. never too many friends. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and obviously there have to be boundaries and you can't be letting yourself be drained by all these people and constantly taking, they have to be people who give back too. But I mean, I have this philosophy of friendship, which is very much your success is my success. And the idea behind that philosophy is if you can train your mind to be equally excited for your friend's success as you would be for your own, you will be a much happier person and you will make a lot more friends because it has to be genuine. This isn't, this isn't a hack. You can't like pretend to be, you have to genuinely train yourself to be as or more happy for your friend's success than your own. And if you can do that, you will never run out of friends. You never. Well, and there's just an element to giving without expecting anything back. And that too often we see our relationships as way too transactional and just just give, always be giving. And it's this better, goes back to the, the, the good book says it's better to give than to receive. And people laugh and they're like, but, but this goes back to uh, something we talked about on the podcast earlier about the difference between a, 
an abundance and a scarcity mindset, right? So a scarcity mindset is very much, I have to hold on to what I have because what if I, what if I lose everything? But an abundance mindset is even if I lose everything, more will come to me. And I think you're a great example of that. Like things you you've had to change your path a few times, but I, but you've never been like, well, I guess I should just give up now on life. Like things haven't worked out the way I'd hoped. And I guess that's it. A great example I have of the abundance and scarcity mindset is we had my daughter and then we had a foster daughter who was around the same age and came home from some event with a little container of cotton candy, sort of as big as your fist and give it to both of them. And here there's cotton candy. And my daughter goes, oh, this is so amazing. We can have cotton candy. And the foster daughter goes, I wish we could have more. (laughs) Which kid do you think you want to give the next one to? Right, right, right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's all about perspective. Really, it is. Um, and I think it, loving a place is about perspective, too, right? There's people who could say, oh, you know, there's a lot of crime in Red Deer now. We have tons of rural crime. Our hospital isn't big enough, you know, uh, it gets cold. But but why would, why, would you, why would you look at it that way? And there's an interesting thing on perception and reality, too. And some of some of it is sort of like the RCMP keeps talking about how crime is going down. There's way less vehicle thefts. And there's way less break, less break-ins this year, and everyone goes, "Oh, crime's really bad." But well, I think is part that of that is that everyone the sitting on their Facebook algorithms, seeing crime after crime. Like, I mean, in re- in central Alberta, rural crime posts do very well. I can say as someone who has campaigned many campaigns there. Oh, certainly they do. But <laughs> it's like, but the the reality versus the perception versus the, it bleeds, it bleeds. We have to chase all these negative, terrible stories. And we need to change the way we talk about ourselves and change the way we talk about our cities. And, and, and why are we so interested in all the negativity all the time? It, uh, you're so right. It's like, for some reason in Alberta, particularly, we've just, be, I mean, it's because things aren't as good as they were, but we've become really negative. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of it. I'm honestly am. We live. It's a great place. Did you know that Alberta still has the highest per capita GDP of any province in Canada? You know what? I didn't because we never <laughs> talked about that. <laughs> and and that's and that's part of why the rest of Canada. I mean, I think Alberta has very legitimate grievances, and and I do believe that it will separate if uh, if something isn't done. But we also, as Albertans, have to take a little bit of responsibility and say. There's a lot of people in this country that are living a lot worse than us. Like most Albertans own a home. There's also an element that we need to present positive options to people that like you think of the biggest political movements in the last couple of years, you have Brexit and you have Trump. And now you have this Western separation thing, which is like, these are just break things. Yeah. They're just burn it down, burn it down chaos. Right. And so where's the actual, we can build this. And there's things we can do to make this an incredible place we can build. We need one of the builders, ideas, not breakers. We need builders, yeah. not breakers. Yeah, build, not break. And yeah. one of the ideas I'm toying around right now is that, like, we need to build a highway from Red Deer to Kamloops. Right. And a super just highway. They two build, little, just connect two cities around the same size. Right. Well, but also, like, there's been so much about parks in Alberta lately. Right. And, you know, if we build this highway from Red Deer to Kamloops, and when you get to the National Parks tunnel underground the national parks so you don't drive through the national parks and then you pop out the other side and there's tunneling machines we can find them well not- i've heard of a guy who may have started a company called the boring company i don't know if right. you ever heard of him but call him <laughs> you have his cell number <laughs> i do not have a cell phone number but i will one day <laughs> and, then, and then what you can do is you can ban semi-trucks 
from going on the number one highway. So we don't want trucks in our national parks anymore. So national parks are just for tourists. And we have a super highway, go 160, put the electric cars, put the pipelines all the way through there and do this and connect Red Deer to Kamloops and then save the parks in the process. And like, let's build this, let's become more interconnected, not less, but let's do it smart. And let's find a way to preserve the incredible things that we have here. Well, isn't that the Alberta way is do it smart? Even our grids, even our cities are more functional than Ontario cities. <laughs> Um, okay, so one other thing that I wanted to talk about was kind of the role that uh, your experience in foster parenting has taught you about kind of some of the wounds of Canada, but also like areas that you see a lot of hope. So we won't claim to be an expert on any of this, but we've had five foster children flow through our house in the last two years, and all of them would be Indigenous in their background. And that adds a layer of complexity and all of them would have, well, if you're in foster, if they're in foster care, they have some trauma in their background and just sort of understanding how that affects the brain and how that affects people. And more and more convinced that the number one social ill that we have in Canada and the Western world is fatherlessness. And so wanting to, wanting to be a part of solving some of that and see so get these kids that Man, nice kids, two-year-olds that are just so excited. And we had a two-year-old that was, she would run up to everybody and give them a great big hug. And you go, that's really cute until you like pause and think, oh, wait, she hasn't been hugged nearly enough in her life that she's searching for this from every stranger that she meets. And that's a, that's something yeah, you that's need to train other people. Yeah. That we will give you all of the affection that you need because you can't do that your whole life or it'll be a disaster. And no. then, yeah. And sort of, spending some more time doing research on how Canada treated the indigenous people that lived here. And that has not gone well, that has not done well. And I think we need to be able to move from a place where we have a lot of sort of the white Canadian, Oh, the natives should just get over it. And it's like, well, no, uh, would, would there's you, a thing we could do. Would, to do you, would you get over it? <laughs> I, I don't would. think so. I wouldn't have gotten over it. I'd and be there, mad. There is elements of like, there some pieces of their culture need to improve and change and like to adapt. And we need to, to be able to do this together and to work on like reconciliation is actually a great word. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we just sort of love all, all the TRC things. It's like, no, actually, you, you know, know who what? started the, T the truth and reconciliation commission, Stephen Harper. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's elements on the TRC that like nobody has touched yet because they're well, hard. Yeah. I think, Oh, well, that's the thing. I, I've been saying on this podcast, and I'm, I'm going to say it again, uh, we must save this country from timid men, mm. men who do not have the courage to do hard things. There's a lot of timidity in the West right now, and it, it has to end. Hard things, are, doing hard things is the only way that hard things are going to get done. If we want to see reconciliation with the First Nations, we have to stop talking about it all the time. And they, they're not interested in us just saying what land we're on they want real respect they want real respect not words at the beginning of political speeches and i say let's give it to them let's solve this problem and i don't care how hard it is because we did them wrong and not all i mean the, a lot of the immigrants who come here from other places didn't do anything to them they were also colonized but you know the truth of the matter is that's the history of humanity we my ancestors were tarred and feathered by americans and had to flee up into canada like the Americans did it to my ancestors too. <laughs> and my ancestors came here to escape the communists. That's what I'm saying. Like 
Yeah. Canadians have been fleeing here from all over the world for the hope of a better life since Canada was founded. And even arguably the First Nations came here long ago across the ice bridge. This is what we're told, right? So they were they were looking for a better life. The story of Canada is looking for a better life. And if we don't have the courage of our ancestors to leave their home, travel vast distances to some frozen tundra and make it a paradise, if we don't have that courage, then we are not the spiritual descendants of our forefathers. There's also an element that we have a really important moment with the TRC and that talking with some Indigenous leaders that the TRC actually, what it essentially did was rip the scab off for the next generation that it sort of brushed over and like, okay, we don't have to talk about that anymore. And suddenly this comes out and now we're talking about it. It's in front of everybody and like people remember and know, and you've just released this huge pain point. And if you don't do something with that energy and that pain, it goes into really negative purposes. You look at the Black Lives Matter movement in the States and what happened is George Floyd's murder set off this huge pain point in a whole whole community, a whole society. And yet they have this movement that has so much energy and so much behind it, but they don't have a good leader and they don't have a good ask. And so it hasn't materialized into something really tangible yet. And here with, with the TRC, we have an opportunity. These are steps we can take we just need someone to take a, take a real leadership role on this and do it. And the reason is that people aren't taking a real leadership role on it is because there are people in this country who are afraid of the unknown. And one of the things that for a lot of people, that I mean, it's different for us. You and I grew up on the prairies. There's First Nations people everywhere. You, if, you're in, if you're in Saskatoon, you're not going to go very far before you meet, you know, before you meet somebody who was, has been here for a who's ancestors have been here for a very long time right and it doesn't happen as much in toronto it doesn't happen as much in vancouver to some degree but even there it's not the same as the prairies we have a much more visceral relationship with our first nations i feel like because i mean i remember growing up there's a reserve called a hobima not very far from where i grew up and I remember everyone was always terrified to play them in hockey because they were just the best hockey players in the whole region. And, I, I and also they were the most violent hockey players in the whole region. But I mean, it's hockey. It's a violent sport. <laughs> Growing up in Saskatoon, there's a, like there's just really rough neighborhoods. And my high school is a really rough high school. And that 400 students started in grade nine and 250 graduated. Yeah. You can almost divide that perfectly down racial lines. A lot of teenage pregnancies, a lot of drug addiction, a lot of, and all of this is, is the, is the symptom of the wound that was created by, let's call it the original sin of Canada was not figuring this out. And there's an element too, that indigenous cultures tend to think collectively and Western cultures tend to think very individualistically. And so you go, this isn't my problem. And then, but they go, this is our problem. And we need an element where we actually think like Canada, this is our problem. Is it your specific fault? No, probably not. Yeah. Is it our problem? Absolutely. We need to find a way through this and find a way to bring on our indigenous neighbors as full partners in Canada. Agreed. Well, Chad, I've really uh, enjoyed having you on here and I know I'll be having you on again, but thanks for loving the place that I come from so much. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The C-A-D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is. Thank you.